2: pushkin this is talk easy i'm sam fragoso welcome to the show Today, I'm joined by comedian John Early. For the past decade, John and performer Kate Berlant have been working together as a comedy duo, a kind of modern-day French and Sanders, or Nichols and May. They've performed in clubs across the country, created a mini-series called 555, and been on just about every Comedians to Watch list since 2013. But despite their success, Berlant and Early have been trying to break through, to reach a wider audience. And after a few dead ends and false starts, they found their way to this excellent new special, Would It Kill You to Laugh? In it, they play an internationally beloved comedy duo that's had a pretty bad falling out. But with some distance, they've decided to try to bury the hatchet and reunite for a moderated TV event. This is a clip from the trailer of Would It Kill You to Laugh? They are
3: arguably the most iconic and influential comedy duo in the history of entertainment, Kate Berlant and John Early. Now, almost 20 years after their
4: infamous falling out, the two of them will sit down together with me, Meredith Vieira. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We know. was like
3: the craziest thing that's ever happened. Guess I misread the situation, bitch.
4: It happened again! What?
3: I loved it, period. Wow. Uh, okay. It's really cool to see My roommate died. Your roommate died? Oh, oh, oh. oh my God. Shut the f- up,
4: Cha-Cha.
1: Did they
3: do the eye scan?
4: Drop the bit, this isn't funny.
3: For the first time in my life, I'm dead f-
4: serious.
2: That was from Would It Kill You to Laugh, now available to stream on Peacock. The special is interspersed with all kinds of hilarious characters and sketches, some of which you'll hear in this conversation. True to form, Berlant and Early bring a silliness, satire, and surreality that they've come to perfect since partnering up in New York City. In many ways, this special is the culmination of their singular, decade-long collaboration. Which is why I wanted to talk to John in this moment, as one chapter ends and another begins. Now, to make this happen, I had to drive to John's house here in Los Angeles. He recently had some back surgery, and it was just easier for us to come to him. But what I didn't know is that sitting upright and talking for an hour is extremely difficult for John to do after this surgery. And so I think this is the first episode of Talk Easy in which a guest is horizontal with a mic kind of hanging over them. I could say more about this, but I'll just have John set the scene. I hope you enjoy.
4: Okay. John Early. Hello. (laughs) How do you feel? I feel good. I've gotten over any sort of self consciousness about being in the literal position that I'm in right now. Why don't we set the scene? I'm laying down and my legs are in a 90 degree position propped up on pillows. This is to keep my spine in a neutral, as neutral a position as possible, which I'm pretty sure this is like as neutral as you can get because of a back surgery that i had in may when i sit for long periods of time it starts to hurt and compress and stuff and so I'm, I'm trying to avoid that as much as possible so we're in your
2: spare bedroom yeah of sorts where i've been sleeping where you've been sleeping like a child nothing wrong with that yeah you're lying down you just had this back surgery and i'm wondering does that mean i'm gonna have to carry this whole podcast <laughs> no I didn't think so.
4: No. I love that we're doing this at your place. Me too. Honestly, it's very convenient for me. I mean, I'm literally lying down. It's very kind of old school therapy. Now I'm having flashbacks to using throw pillows for lumbar support in therapy. I never
2: understood the lying down. I feel like it's mostly related to like talking about your dreams. It's funny you mentioned dreams because that's, of course, exactly what we're going to talk about. (gasps) Great. Great. Would it kill you to laugh? At all the great jokes that I've written Uh, for this podcast. That was not one. That was just off the top. Um, I want to start here because with this new special, it's called Would It Kill You to Laugh? How much of this new thing, which is on a platform that is, I think, the largest platform you and Kate have had together. Mm -hmm. How much of it comes from wanting to imagine a world where it's actually possible to entertain the masses?
4: (laughs) like most things that we do it started completely as a joke you know the framing device of the special for the listeners at home is is like a kind of you know one of those Sunday night interviews with giant celebrities that everyone's watching and talking about the next day like so opening sequence is like people all over the world tuning into this interview and it's it's between me and Kate and of course Meredith Vieira. that's a favorite premise of ours The kind of competitive energy and we just wanted to kind of blow it out for the special make it the kind of biggest most heightened version of that joke crank it up even further and have this very kind of like world cinema opening and by world cinema i guess i mean like kind of oscar bait kind of opening Mm -hmm. the gritty like rural argentinian like (laughs) opening of like a can being kicked on like in a dusty road you know that was the goal it just made us laugh the more you sit with any of the ideas that always make us laugh, then we're like, oh, there's clearly something going on here. And I think it was, it is what exactly what you're saying. It is just like imagining a world in which it's even possible to be kind of, it, which seems like a, that's over. You know, that, it, that we don't have like any stars anymore. We don't have any kind of universally agreed upon things anymore. The term that is used specifically for you two mm-hmm. is like
2: alternative comedy
4: or niche Comedy. Yeah.
2: This seems to be kind of fighting back against
4: that. Totally. That's very astute. (laughs) You know, Kate and I do get described as alter niche all the time. But when Kate and I were doing stand-up, you know, we were always doing like really kind of, I would say, not alternative shows. Kate especially did so much stand-up in like, you know, clubs and stuff. And then like, I guess you could sort of describe them as alternative, but they weren't weird. They were just maybe a little like hipper, younger, you know, audiences. We've never tried to, like, alienate people. We've never tried to, like, carve out our own little space. We've always wanted to enter into, like, comedy spaces and make people laugh. Like, it's it's quite simple. So I think we always take it a little personally. You had this quote recently. I think Kate and
2: I have always been labeled as niche or rarefied in some way, whereas we've always seen ourselves as leading the USO tours and performing for the troops. (laughs) Yeah. There's such a wide gap mm-hmm. from how you are described mm-hmm. in the press mm-hmm. or talked about at a studio versus that image that you two have for yourselves as being totally. like
4: bob hope exactly and we also I to just identify as like hams the way that kate and i make each other laugh as friends is like i would say 95 percent just like physical we're not trying to do some sort of like satire when we're like making each other laugh and so I think that's part of it too, is just seeing ourselves kind of vaudevillian and like silly. If you're hearkening back to these like vaudevillian tropes, Mm -hmm. things that
2: are very recognizable, the sort of theatricality of your performance and Kate's, why do you think so many people watch it and think that's
4: strange? You know, I don't know because I think about like, I think about Tim and Eric and I'm like, Well, they're weirder than us, but I feel like they were still able to break through. I mean, maybe that's because of their genius, (laughs) because they're they're just goddamn good. I'm going at it for years. Do you think it's because they came up in a
2: time where it was possible to break through in a mainstream way? Like, is that no longer even a goal to have? I think it's a
4: a worthy goal because I think it, it forces people to make better work. I think a desire to break through can also lead to you trying to, like, tap into something maybe you're more universal, more generous, too. Do you think that's what happened here? It's a mystery to me. I'll never know. Like, I really thought that's what we were doing. All of the sketches, we really tried to kind of choose something that we thought was the most kind of John and Kate distilled, kind of in the vein, And, and we tried to choose premises or context for these, like, dynamics that we like to be in that we felt were like the most accessible, like John and Kate show up to book club. They didn't read the book. You know, like our kind of competitive energy was like, let's put it on a kind of like nighttime, like populist quote unquote news show. You know, we really were trying to do that. And then you get so deep inside of that. You like can't really even see it anymore. And then as we started to share it with people, a lot of people were like, it's so weird. That was kind of like the first descriptor from everyone. And that was very humbling and, and in some ways crushing, you know, because we really weren't trying to be weird, but then you step away and you go, well, of course it's weird. We're paying for checks and hot caramel. You know, but to us, that was just like, that was just really silly and also a way for us to do sketches about money. But also, like, we thought it was a very, like, simple, elegant kind of swap out for, like, crypto, you know? Like, and and that it wouldn't be that complicated for the viewer. But, like, I think it is. It's weird. Would it kill you to laugh?
2: <laughs> when you present your friends with this new special. Yeah. And they walk out of the theater and they say, that was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. In response to that, you felt a little bit, crushed yeah what does that look like for
4: you (laughs) i feel like this is basically what i've been trying to say but not saying successfully since we started talking which is like we just really don't want to be alienating that is not our goal that is never ever our goal i think we've absorbed the kind of brooklyn silver lake environments that we've been in for the past 10 years you know like or more than that jesus 14 years like so we can't help but kind of i guess embody these kind of maybe rarefied elite things in the zeitgeist but i think we have no desire to just kind of stay in our own little echo chambers i think we want to reach people desperately want to reach people outside of that so i think it's like whenever we're reminded that like our kind of maybe go-to instincts are a little weird i think it's a little crushing just but also i think because we really try very consciously to make things very like sensitive and emotional so when people's main takeaway is it's weird or it's mean i understand that it has like a surreality to it i understand that we're being really ruthless with each other in a lot of the sketches but like If you don't include in your description, your review of it, there are also many parts that I think are like consciously and obviously tender. I think that's what it is Mm -hmm. that's crushing because I'm like, that's all that's your main takeaway. That they're not getting to the tenderness. Yeah, that's a big part of it. It feels like a failure. I think we take it as a failure.
2: Well, this feels like the time to play a clip from one of these sketches. Is there a monitor? Yeah, we got one carting in for okay, you here great. with, Thank with, with you. My Robust Team. Thank you. So set this up for us. This is the book club sketch. Yeah. You two are reading a kind of infinite Jess size David Foster Wallace tome, except you haven't read it. Yes. You're at a book club. Everyone's kind of cute. Everyone is pretty good looking. Some people yeah. have like earmarked their books with notes. This is a dedicated group of readers yeah kind of
4: chic but like earnestly curious readers
2: and and you two are well why don't we listen to it yeah it's a really
3: cool group john i did not read the book
4: oh please me neither apparently it's not that kind of thing oh it's more of
3: a hate. okay hi welcome hi thank you all right welcome everyone so kate john do you want to share some of your initial impressions or thoughts about the text yeah.
4: I loved it. I loved it.
3: Loved it completely. Loved it completely. Loved
4: it. Loved it in a way where I'm just like, I loved it. Period. What did you love about it, Kate?
3: You know what? You know what? You know what? You know what? I think that people who look like me have had the stage for so long, the microphone for so long, right? right? I just kind of feel like as a way to rectify like the sins of my ancestors. Mm-hmm. By the way, I hate you guys. I really do. Um.
4: I'm gonna give the floor to
3: someone else.
4: Uh, John, do you have any thoughts that you wanna share? I mean, any impressions you have are welcome here. I'm gay. I'm gay. And I just wanna get right out in front of that, you know? Cause I have to wake up to that every morning. It's not just a hat that I can take off.
3: What did you think of the book?
4: Where were you guys when you finished it? I'll start. Um, I remember being in my bedroom and getting to the end and going,
2: john what's it like to not be able to
4: take off that hat oh my god it's so i i can't even answer the question (laughs) the people who have just listened to that they can
2: now say if that was alienating (laughs) or not but i don't know how you hear that and think oh this is aggressive alienating comedy like
4: what's the challenge there this sketch in particular is literally about people who are deliberately trying to use alienating language to obfuscate the fact that they didn't read the book (laughs) which like again and it's good because they would use the word obfuscate yes absolutely you know that was just the joke plain and simple so when we are using language like that that's kind of zeitgeisty or like that feels very twitter like academia discourse twitter you know like When we're using that, we are consciously calling attention to like the kind of emptiness of that language, you know, and the panic underneath that language. So, you know, I understand if someone maybe hears that and is so kind of triggered by like the daily discourse (laughs) that they like just don't want to like look underneath it. But yeah, that's that's absolutely not our intention to be alienating.
2: Maybe some of that negative gut reaction is a recognition of themselves in that parody. Totally,
4: or the thing that they hate. Either the thing they hate in someone else or the thing they hate in themselves. And I think at the end of the day, we're kind of roasting ourselves. We're roasting our little circles, our little, our friends. We're roasting the kind of milieu that we've been kind of soaking up for a while now. And what's it been like to be soaking in that? <laughs> I'm wet, first of all. Well, you want to get out in front of that. I want to get right out of in front of it. Um, what is it like to be soaking in that? Not a real question. <laughs> yeah i like you but
2: you'll take any question I honestly, an i'm
4: really trying when you do the joke questions i'm um i go there for a second well as an improviser i would assume you yes and it see this is the thing but kate and i know but <laughs> So you want to know but me yeah this is always me and kate's problem is like our like kind of improv approach is the exact opposite of what of what you're taught beautiful so i'll just know but you yeah until i leave this house
2: mm-hmm. i love it this special Harkens back to a time where sketch comedy was a little bit slower, a little bit more conversational. Does that start for you in the late 80s, early 90s with Don French and Jennifer Saunders?
4: For me, yes. I mean, people always, which this is to me feels so overblown. I think it's just because I'm a guy and Kate's a girl and we like have some semblance of social satire in our work, but like end of like the bouginess. We come from bougie places and we roast bougie people, I think, you know, so some people talk about it like Mike Nichols and Elaine May. I'm not, I'm so embarrassed to even invoke that comparison. But yes, but so I think Jennifer Saunders with Ab Fab with French and Saunders, there's just like a kind of soothing conversational quality to it, a quickness, a lightness that I really always loved. You always loved watching that growing up in Nashville,
2: Tennessee. Yeah. Your parents were Presbyterian ministers. Mm -hmm. You said once, since they were ministers, you're hyper aware of the job element to it. It's less mystical when you're behind the scenes with your parents who do it for a living. I think I was always very distrustful of a certain kind of sincerity. What did that look like growing up where you did?
4: I would imagine for any sort of like pastor, anyone in the clergy of all faiths, it's impossible to, like, kind of keep up the kind of authority that you have to possess, like, as, you know, the spiritual authority that is, like, the job requirement when you are at home and your kids are witnessing you, like, running naked to the phone. Mm -hmm. For some reason, just, like, the first image I think of, like, you know, when you, like, see your parents naked, just, like, the towel dropping and then the disc herniating, you know, and and then the god Damn it. You know, like, is that the first image that comes that's with- my dad <laughs> yeah so I, I don't really know if that's the source of my um of anything significant about me psychologically but i do think there's something there there's just like when you're the child of ministers you see behind the curtain <laughs> which is not to say i'm just talking about the mundane i'm not talking about any sort of sinister quality you know at all i think what you're trying to
2: say is that at a young age you had to hold these two realities yeah, The ministers that spoke in front of a congregation and offered this kind of larger-than-life persona with the naked dad herniating his disc <laughs> trying to answer a phone.
4: Right, right, exactly.
2: And yet for you, that line I keep coming back to, it made you distrustful of a certain kind of sincerity. What is that?
4: I think that's more just about the tones I like. grew up around, like Protestant kindness, warmth. You know, I was a kid. It's hard not to find that kind of stuff like schmaltzy. And, you know, I was not just a kid. I was a teenager, you know, adolescent. Like, so that kind of tone. So, like, I grew up, you know, kind of like liberal Nashville, very safe, toast, democratic politics, <laughs> you know, so... um yeah it's it's maybe not authority pr- it's probably me reaching for a word in a, in an interview setting much like i've been doing this entire time
2: i feel like in this interview you've done the least amount
4: of reaching oh well thank you because i'm lying down exactly damn it <laughs> god damn it that was, a, that was a clean wholesome setup that was really good and i fell for it you did my ego wanted it so bad that i fell for it we didn't have to fall <laughs> sorry okay so i'm stopping this is a problem that i've f- I experience every time i try to talk about my life is like there's no real narrative like there's the narrative that you kind of arrive at over the course of doing podcasts you know to promote your work or there's the narrative that you exploit you know in order to become a comedian like and have anything at all to talk about on stage like i think it's a fool's errand to like truly try to narrativize your life and you'll always come up short now we're deconstructing
2: what it is to like basically mythologize yeah our existence
4: yes which is something we always do and are called upon to do so much now like literally to generate data for giant tech companies (laughs) well this is hopefully
2: um it's driven by empathy not like
4: yes clicks absolutely well that's and that's the beauty of the long form is you can
2: wheel around and
4: find it we're going to keep wheeling great
2: something that did matter a great deal to you as a teenager in nashville are these experiences of walking into a blockbuster while your mom goes grocery shopping And finding the sundance recommend section (laughs) yeah where you'd often find the movies that you hoped would
4: speak to you
2: there's one day where you land upon clock
4: watchers starring tony collette what happens i was very in love with lisa kudrow and still am through romeo michelle and parker posey as well through like waiting for guffman and alana you through like brady bunch movie and stuff like and the, but tony i didn't know who she was those were the three women who kind of drew me to the vhs cover and then i watched it and, and tony clott's actually the main character this is like one of the few moments where it's like you actually experience the narrative in real time like it's not there's no reason for you to believe me dear listener But like this isn't me trying to actually like find the kind of like the turning point like the on the hero's journey like this is literally like I actually experienced it was like a, a euphoric religious experience watching this movie I was like weeping uncontrollably after I saw it and then I watched it again I just rewound it and I watched it again as you did back then what was
2: going through your head as the credits were rolling?
4: Well, it's such a sad movie. It's a really, really sad movie. But I think it was just sad in a way that I had never seen before, because I was like 10 or 11. I had never seen something that was sad in a way that I think felt so... There wasn't some reward. Like, normally, sadness is given to you in art with this kind of reward of, like, catharsis or, like, maybe some sort of, like, yes, you failed, or you, there was a great loss, but you tried, and it was You went noble. through this
2: pain, and, yeah. and now there is a... And end.
4: Yes, and they serve it to you on a platter, but this had a real, uh, just a ruthlessness to it. Like, it's like, it's basically about these temp workers whose friendship, any kind of potential for solidarity gets dissolved by this kind of like wishy-washy, like late 90s, like Clinton, like, kind of smiley office politics, HR-iness, you know, and they all get kind of turned against each other and... They all become really paranoid and they all just like leave and like don't talk to each other by the end. It's just, it's so, it's so sad to me. It's not a war movie, but it is. It's like literally in just like a a fluorescent office. I don't know. It's brutal.
2: The most important thing, I think, from this story is that you watch this movie and you had this gut response that said, oh, I like this thing and it's hitting me at, at a guttural level and it clearly awoke something in you
4: yeah totally it was like oh i didn't know you could make things like that i guess i didn't know, like that anyone could make something like that you know because i really was so young <laughs> so I, I didn't understand that there was a whole world of like movies that were like people that were funny could also be like melancholy and mm-hmm. like you know somber and yeah it inspired you to create a
2: geo fan site yeah called tony collette is making her mark mm-hmm this is in 2001. <laughs> Set the scene for me. You you're, you're in your bedroom creating this website that is a dedicated fan page
4: to the actor Tony Collette. It was my parents' or my family computer. So it wasn't even my room. So you did it out in the open. Yeah. I had lots of solitude as a kid, I guess, like watching TV and and then working on my website. <laughs> but yeah, I would like I would just like on the weekend. I mean, after school and on the weekends. I would literally just like all day. And it's so funny to think of the labor that went into it. what it actually was. It's just like, there's literally one tab on the website, like on the menu <laughs> where it's like pictures and you click on it. And guess what? There are pictures of Tony <laughs> Clark. Like that's what I was working on. I was like, okay, so pictures. And then it was like filmography, which is a word that I would have just learned from IMDb. Here's what the job was. I'm looking down the pie. I'm like checking the IMDb. I see, oh, she has a new project with Curtis Hansen and Cameron Diaz in her shoes. Okay. Currently filming like release date, like fall, you know. And so I would go to my filmography section and I would type in, in her shoes. Mm -hmm. And then I go to the news section and I go, in her shoes has just been announced. Like, it's wild. It's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) When you started
2: making this
4: site. Yeah.
2: You said once. Upon making this site, I suddenly realized that I was gay. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, the receipts
4: are literally online. Yeah. Is that how it went in the moment? You know, because I was like, I was telling my teachers about it. I was was in eighth grade Mm -hmm. when I was doing this. And I was like telling my teachers about it and telling my friends about it. And they would like very sweetly go and like sign the guest book. And then as I was truly realizing that I was gay, like on a sexual level, (laughs) I was kind of putting two and two together. I had this very unselfconscious interest in like actresses. And then I think I was like slowly absorbing from the culture that like that is a kind of classic gay pastime. And I was like, i have literally told every single teacher my parents have been watching me do this in broad daylight for like two years like i literally had that kind of thought and so i had to kind of reel back i had to like i stopped i think it was when the hours came out it would have been like the hours and like about a boy that was though the conflict because i was like really obsessed with her like upcoming projects and you know i mean i literally remember being able to drive Long after I had stopped operating the website like and driving alone in the afternoon to go see Japanese story this this Australian movie she did that's really incredible and she's so good in it. I remember like seeing that alone like weeping in the theater so it like, it became like a kind of private obsession after that.
2: you were having this very clear push and pull mm-hmm. between sort of subconsciously outing yourself and this internal recognition of. Oh, maybe these two things are connected. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. Was it sad to stop doing the website? Well, I mean, it definitely—it really gave my kind of days. Like any good, like any meaningful work, it gave my days a sense of purpose. And it was a sincere question. You have to understand, I'm answering it. It could not be more sincere. Are you baiting me now? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I was being it gives utterly my days sincere. a sense. <laughs> It did. It did. (laughs) It really, really did. I would like ask my teachers or ask my friend, do you know who Tony Glead is? Of course they didn't know. We were in Nashville, and like she had done like, she hadn't even done The Sixth Sense, honey. Okay? So I really did actually feel like on a mission to expose her to a wider audience.
2: We'll be right back after a quick break.
0: As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Nerdwalk, Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics.
1: your perfect home sweet home.
2: Retreating from that website, it was painful because you lost a thing that was giving your life a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And yet you do give it up however reluctantly. This process of coming out, when you go to NYU for college, you're studying theater at Tisch. Mm-hmm. In that second year, you decide to come out to your parents. But when you look back on this period, you once were sitting with your friend Theta Hamill, who said, in John's case, in coming out to his parents, it had less to do with being ashamed of being gay and more to do with his fear of being a hack.
4: <laughs>
2: it was his performer sensibility that made him go... I don't want to have this meaningful conversation. Where is that from? Out Magazine, 2016, you're backstage at a oh show. Oh my
4: God, of course. Wow. Yes, that's a really, I love that. And that's so, is a genius. So were they right? Completely. That's what I was talking about earlier. It like, it's more of a kind of a, a repulsion to like a certain kind of tone that I had as a kid. Like a not wanting to find myself in a kind of hacky, insincere moment. Even if it's about
2: something as important as your sexuality
4: yeah which like i guess i think on some level i didn't find it to be important really yeah like i, I mean yeah i guess i found it to be important in that it was just like i was suddenly very horny <laughs> <laughs> and that was thrilling when was that 13 when there was suddenly an object to the horniness and not just like <laughs> diffuse horniness of the, the kind of feral diffuse horniness of um earlier years that was an early named for a comedy special, right? Feral Diffuse Horniness, yes.
2: Mm-hmm. And Comedy Central rejected it for what reason?
4: The title. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it just, I don't know. I guess it just didn't seem like, there, were, there was nothing inherently meaningful to me about, like, I, I don't know. I. It just, yeah, it didn't, my parents... What? What were you going to say? I'm extremely lucky in that my parents were very, you know, it would not have been a problem for them at all. Or it wasn't a problem for them at all. So it's kind of like we all know this like everyone knows everyone in the room knows like why do i have to go and walk through this like ritual i'm gay i don't know i've just never it's never it's never been meaningful to me i don't know and that's probably why i'm fixated on it because it's like comedically too it's just the pomp and circumstance. Yeah. God bless you for being able to synthesize everything I'm trying to say. But, like, that's exactly right. Kate is drawn to that on some level, too, is like pomp. <laughs> I think we both find that inherently funny. Like, I think there's so many rituals like that. Kate and I love like weddings comedically, you know, either the failure of a ritual to like meet your emotional expectations. Or the opposite, where it's like a kind of ordinary person who never gets to do this kind of ritual is like suddenly like overwhelmed and overcome by the like the experience of the ritual. I think we find both things very funny and fun to perform. The two of you meet May fifth, twenty twelve. That recognition of a
2: kind of comedic sensibility in one another—did
4: it come that day? Completely. Well, I mean, I, I it came from seeing her work too. Like she had a, a few videos online at on YouTube at that point and I had seen her do stand-up a couple times I really felt a kinship with her just as a as a fan but the day that we like worked together on this like our friends short film yeah it was a very kind of immediate kind of cosmic it felt like love at first sight you know it it was very romantic so you two spot each other across the
2: crafty table
4: we were like in between takes and stuff we would go sit by the crafty table and just start talking about ourselves to each other that was where we kind of camped out and started the friendship
2: that night after you shoot you find yourselves in grand central station Mm -hmm. you transfer to the six train yes is that right yes
4: you're laughing i'm laughing because of the just the detail that you were recalling this is what we do here yes
2: once you get home the two of you text each other till four in the morning Ending with a very sort of pointed text that you sent her. Do you remember what you wrote?
4: I think it was something like, if I don't see you tomorrow, like I'll kill myself in public, I think is what I said. Exactly.
2: (laughs) And love was born.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think she didn't want me to die, understandably, when someone holds that threat. Would you say that she's still sort of held captive by that first? Completely. I think she knows that our friendship is keeping me together.
2: Right. Yeah. You have this great quote about this period. You said, from day one of our friendship... I knew we would be working together, not just like, let's collaborate. It was like, oh, this is a partnership. This is huge.
4: <laughs> we say this is huge a lot.
2: And deservingly so. Thank you. But that recognition, or I guess that fundamental understanding from Jump, did you really have that?
4: Yes. I mean, we literally that first day of being friends, we were like, oh, "This is." I mean, this is so grotesque. I mean, we knew we were being funny, by the way, but we were like, see you on IFC you know we were like we're gonna have a sketch on ifc that was like the crown jewel in our minds oh no and i think we're like see you on ifc in a year meanwhile it's taken 10 years to get anything on any sort of proper channel together but um but we were (laughs) we knew you know the joke obviously was how cocky we were being for people listening at home they knew they were being funny we knew we were being funny
2: well, you knew you were trying to be funny.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yes. And we knew there was something funny about how boutique IFC was. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Kate and I are both very socially kind of declarative. Let's go here. Oh my God, this is perfect. This restaurant is heaven. This group is heaven. Like, The social balance of this group is, like, just insane. Like, you know, like, you know, and sometimes you need that kind of energy in the room to break the ice. But when you find another person who can do that, too, we just both were really ready, I think, to leap into something on a friendship level, but also professionally, too.
2: And you're saying those things earnestly.
4: Totally. That's the engine of what we find funny is, like, Kate and I will so often be, like, sitting across from each other at a table being like, this is heaven like describing like a piece of toast like we're like this is huge like you know and and like four seconds later we'll realize (laughs) what we sound like and then we like start uncontrollably laughing and that's like that's the birth of so many ideas and jokes of ours it's just like that kind of whipping each other into a frenzy of like romance and you know so that's how this
2: partnership was born yeah and from there you say in one year we're gonna be on ifc (laughs) yeah yeah So the long winding journey to get to this new show. Yeah. I believe the first stop is a show at Union Hall in New York City. You two perform together. You sell it out. It has at least 40 seats. At least. You two performing on that stage. Do you remember the first sketch you two did?
4: Yes. It would have been a wedding. I was on stage... I think we were playing Ave Maria and I came out in a suit to receive my bride and she came down the aisle of the theater and was and she had a wedding dress and was holding a bouquet of kale. That's back when kale joke meant something, you know, like when people were quite literally learning about kale. The irony of the two of you starting your comedic careers together, doing a bit about a union being formed. At Union Hall, no less. There's
2: something kind of beautiful about
4: that. I know. I know it's i've never even really thought of it and again just funny to us it was like the idea that made us laugh it was just a very fun time you know and also we were doing shows all the time like live shows separately and sometimes together but like that just felt like a very exciting it felt very exciting to be performing a lot it was kind of the time of like the millennial wonderkind of like you know lena dunham and like everyone our age at that point was like well i'm getting a show Like, I think we all felt entitled to a show. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that was where some of the hubris came from. But then once you two decide to move out here, what happens? We had a very, very promising opportunity at having a show together when we were like 26. And we put a lot of work into it and had a lot of fun kind of dreaming it up and got through many, many of the steps that make you feel more and more confident each time. And then we just didn't make it past the finish line. It's something that I've become so accustomed to. But the first one was extremely humiliating and, like, hilarious because of that attitude, because of the CEO on IFC. We were like, oh, there's no guarantee of this happening. And you can spend three, four, five years, like, pouring all this work into something that never gets seen by anyone you know and like that was i think particularly brutal because we were used to something much more immediate in doing live shows or putting stuff on the internet and this was like very bizarre for no one to ever see it
2: how did you handle humiliation
4: we ate we immediately i just like picked kate up and we went to um john and Vinny's. it was like early afternoon it was like not dinner time but we ate like a king's feast and we're just like in shock. We kept trying to like move it around and try to get it made in different ways and with different people in different forms. And like then there was kind of a final like no, like a real like call that was like, you guys, it's not, it's your no. That day of the firm no, we met up and like went for a walk. I think people thought what we were doing, the main note we got along the way was the kind of rarefied niche thing and the kind of like, this is not accessible enough. You know, we called our manager and we were like, we have huge news we're like we've actually completely reimagined the show their parents are coal miners and he was like you guys was like take some time we're like okay we were in such like manic denial it was crazy yeah and you definitely feel like you have a window like very quick like like you like a, a small window of time to like kind of land it and you felt it narrowing yes you know there's like there was a period of time where, you know, every little news cycle needs a little like baby to talk about, you know. and Kate and I certainly had those little moments, you know of like, you know, comics to watch, like kind of stuff, you know, so we we really felt like, okay, go, go now, go, you know. And so we yeah when that kind of fell apart and it was a really like true firm no, it wasn't like, well, maybe, you know, we yeah, we just had to take some time. We like took a little sweet trip together for a few days and like had a like a proper like cry you know and it, we had like a nice touch in and then and then i don't know we just like kind of stepped away for a while and then tried to make a sketch show is that where the show comes in to play kind of yeah like once we finally were ready to try again let's do a sketch we took it out and we we were going to make a sketch pilot which had a lot of the sketches it had beavers it had the meredith fiera stuff and then we were literally going to shoot it in like april of 2020 and then it all that all fell apart And so once things were kind of coming back a little bit more, the pilot wasn't going to happen. We thought, what if we made like a kind of hour long, like one-off version of this?
2: What's fascinating is that so much of this new special does come from material you've produced before this Peacock original. One of the pieces from 2019, like you're talking about, is called How Have You Been? Mm -hmm. My favorite, honestly, it's my favorite. John and Kate's sketch. Should we play some of it? Yes. This is how have you been with Kate Berlant and John Early.
3: <laughs> John Early,
4: Kate Berland.
3: <laughs>
4: I cannot. Oh Are we crazy. doing this? We're Let's doing do this. this. Come this. here! Oh, oh my god! god. Oh. oh my god!
3: <laughs> oh my god! I'm so I'm I'm nervous. No, I'm
4: nervous. I'm too. scared. We, we, I'm we really we scared. not be nervous. Oh, how I'm long really has it been? How long has it been? It's been.
3: Years. It has years. been years and years and years. Yeah.
4: How are you? Really
3: good. Oh, God. So good. good. I'm really just, good. yeah. I don't know. I'm great. I'm really I'm good. good. How are you? I'm really good. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. You know, I haven't seen you in so long. I know it's
4: been so long. But I I'm see a- you
3: everywhere. Oh. Everywhere. What? I can't drive down Sunset Boulevard no, with the Kaiser is. Permanente ads uh. that you've been doing now for years. You know,
4: I've always thought it was so brave that you you chose to step back and say, I don't want to work.
3: I work. Know? I mean, I, I do work. I just want, where's yeah. The,
4: where's the evidence? I perform,
3: if that's yeah, what you're asking. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. good.
4: Yeah. I know you've got a lot of, joy out of that so Mm -hmm. that's i'm glad to know you're still doing that
3: i um yeah i did step away you know you
4: look amazing oh
3: thank you you really do you really dropped
4: into your features yeah
3: i mean i want to say you look so great and the burns are healed oh you got your teeth fixed
4: yeah yeah
3: oceans 14. Mm. i cannot believe the negligence of the studio that was insane yeah i kind of always wanted to ask you Mm. i just want to get it straight so you you fell off the oil rig Mm -hmm. and that's what smashed the teeth and then somehow the oil caught fire on the surface of the ocean and then you've plunged into the ocean and then the burns.
4: Yeah, though no, that was... But yeah. you
3: look, you would never sticky, know. Sticky, you sticky you would would situation.
4: Know. Yeah, you would no, never but know. Uh, Paul and, and I have really, he's really helped me kind of move through Paul. that. And the pub like sh- I mean, Heath and
3: I, 11 years next Wednesday. Good yeah. for
4: you guys. Thank you, Because I, I, I did not think that had legs. The
3: sex is still white hot. Yeah. Yeah. We
4: are glued.
3: Heath and I use one towel.
4: Wow! We have
3: one
1: out. Wow, the that's house. amazing. Yeah. yeah, the fucking room. yeah,
4: it's it is.
1: It's- yeah,
4: no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so nice to hear that. What does that bring you back to? Um, that was very much me and Kate trying to make a sketch after like years of being in like the slow moving gears of the development cycles and stuff, and feeling so kind of fundamentally like so far removed from the things that bring us joy (laughs) you know like and so it was really really nice to be like let's just make a stupid video like we used to do it was so fun i love that video so much and so much of the
2: material in that video appears in would it kill you to laugh
4: yeah i mean that is like the kind of fundamental premise of the meredith stuff but then also like some of the literal jokes we just like are so we love so much that we kind of we're like let's just do them while we have Meredith and then we ended up using them in the edit too when you're on the other side of that humiliation Mm -hmm. that trip you take
2: the tearful conversation you and kate need to have Mm -hmm. when you finally get to the other side of that and make this show what did it mean to you
4: it was really exciting similar to shooting that video like so many years passed. i mean since we've last like made something substantial together So it all came together very quickly, but when we were, like, suddenly doing it together on set, it felt just so, so nice. It's so thrilling to act with Kate. I mean, she's just one of the goddamn greats. And we just really understand each other. So much of the experience on set is so hellish. Like, it's so boring and grueling, and, like, you're so, like, loopy, you know? And so it really, really helps to have a friend there to just kind of keep you silly and facile and not to, like go into your phone for like hours you know and i'm wondering how does kate keep you facile <laughs> she just really makes me laugh like when we're picking each other up at like 4:45 in the morning it's like really really nice you can have a full cloud of like melatonin and anger and like just like on you know in front of you and we can like kind of pierce through it and it's really nice i
2: like that you answered my joke question with sincerity. I mean, I hope you're starting to understand <laughs> There's uh, <laughs> there's not much of a difference for me. The dividing line between the two. It's dissolved. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's really kind of amazing. Thank God it's something. Well, I mean, it's not boring. Good. I mean, not to me. It's not to me. You're interesting to you. <laughs> yes, yes. That's important. Yeah. This special really is the culmination of a decade plus of working together. hmm When you look at this piece you two have made can you see the changes in your relationship 12 years in
4: it's very like opportunities to make something don't ever come conveniently like in the kind of juicy moment where you're like and here we go i'm ready you know and that is i think a place where kate and i have matured is like learning how to release the kind of tight grip on like past ideas or dynamics or visions of like of some sort of trajectory that we would have as as individuals or you know as collaborators like and definitely with this special we were really trying to like loosen the grip, loosen the grip, loosen the grip. But it's just like the silliest, funniest idea. Like, let's do that. What makes us laugh? Like don't put pressure on it. If you two manage to not put
2: an undue amount of pressure on this thing you've made, what is the piece in the new special that you look at and go, 12 years of working together. Okay, this is the best of us.
4: I mean, the one that I am most, I think, in love with is the seduction one that feels like the most, the biggest kind of evolution for us. To us, when we were writing it, it was such a clear kind of game to it. And we knew it would be like, maybe the best sketch in the special and we knew it would make us like die I think we thought it would just be a kind of like us kind of switching between genres so it would have an inherent kind of flatness to it you know like anything there's always just you can't see it until you're like editing it and even then you can't really see it you can never see it but like we I think we're both really surprised by how like moving it felt (laughs) how it like actually delivers and there is something kind of like weirdly personal about it so I think that to me is a really exciting like kind of evolution for us when I think about where we started and it's a perverse romance but there is a romance it's like playing into romantic movie kind of tropes so you know we're always kind of beating people over the head with our um our friendship and its origins so it's like it's nice to have the new take on it should we play some of it yes you said that so quick i'm dying to hear it so for context
2: this is the two of you backstage after a performance
4: it's technically supposed to be a little hints of it. It's after we've shot beavers. Let's take a listen. What?
3: <sighs> Nothing. Nothing. What? This.
4: This what? What are you. What?
3: You, me, us.
4: What about us?
3: We've never thought about it.
4: I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. <sighs> Whoa, 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 Kate, what are you doing?
3: Oh, okay, I guess I misread the situation.
4: Literally, what are you talking about?
3: All those years of collaboration, drunken nights, always right in line, right? Never crossing the line.
4: Okay, Kate, I'm exhausted. We've been shooting for 13 hours. Drop the bit, this isn't funny.
3: (laughs) It's not a bit. It's not funny for the first time in my life. I'm dead fucking serious.
4: This is making me really uncomfortable, Kate. Okay, I...
3: Oh my God, John. You just wanna fool around a little bit, blow off steam. Ew, I don't need to blow off steam. Really? Because you seem pretty tense, brother. Okay, you are unrecognizable. You are born C-section, right?
4: E- yeah, why?
3: So no part of you has ever touched a vagina. Jesus Christ. Just saying, we're all pink in the middle. Oh my God, I'm going home. Clearly, I struck a nerve. I'm sorry. Let me make it up to you, please. Please. What can I do? What can I do? I'll give you a foot massage.
4: My doctor says everything starts with the foot and then radiates up to the back Yeah,
2: That piece really does speak to this kind of lifelong union (laughs) you two have signed up for. The push and pull, the strangeness. The sexual tension, I don't think you
4: two have. There's none there, unfortunately. I'm sure you've searched. It's so not there. There's not even an option to search. <laughs> Which is, I think why we find this sketch premise to be so funny. Why does it move you so much? It kind of turns into a kind of CW, kind of like after school special, kind of like, I'm hideous, like, no, you're not, like kind of thing by the end. And there's something about that that led us on a performance level I think go like in order to sell that we had to go to a very sincere place it's so not sincere and that we would never do that but like it is sincere and that it required it just required a level of sincerity to pull the joke off it's I think a bizarre experience to be like hovering above a trope like making fun of it and then also realizing that like you're completely like at the mercy of the trope as well. Like I, like I completely, like it completely works on me. You know, like I like, I have a, a satirical distance from it and yet I'm like, it makes me cry. <laughs> even now a little bit. Yeah. Even now you can see I'm weeping uncontrollably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I think to leave, we ought to go to one more sincere place. Mm hmm. You at age 12, the year 2000. Mm hmm. You write a letter to Miss Tony Collette for her 28th birthday. I have that letter here.
4: Oh, my God. Oh, If
2: you wouldn't mind reading it for us. Oh, my God.
4: There's a reason why I never revisit this, because it's so embarrassing. Okay, here we go. Your work has totally changed my life. Clockwatcher's and murals wedding... <laughs> This is hell. You know what's hell about it? It's just like literally like, like, well, this is what I was literally just saying as a 34-year-old, okay? Glockwatchers and Muriel's Wedding gave me this awareness in my life. I can't explain it, but it just happened to me. It's like I do... (laughs) Oh my God. Oh God. How dare you make me do this? It's like I do things that will make me happy knowing that I have a limited amount of time here on Earth. I'm so happy and confident now. Okay. He thinks the lady does protest too much. I'm in seventh grade. This is really good. I just do what I want, and I don't care what others think. That's like, I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth. It drives me crazy that I can't put the feeling into words exactly how I want it to sound. But all I really want you to know (laughs) is that you have truly touched me. I love to perform just like you. And I was upset that I never got to see the wild party. That's an understatement. She was on Broadway in the Wild Party. Keep working hard and happy 28th. How dare I tell her to keep working hard? How did that feel? It was hard. (laughs) I believe you said, How dare you make me read this? Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't remember that there were certain like just like extremely earnest lines. It was very, it was very tough. And then I'm actually It's really funny to see me be like, I just do what I want. Like, that is so something that you say, like, on a reality show about yourself. I'm just going to be me. Yeah, I'm not here to make friends.
2: That line, it drives me crazy that I can't put the feeling into words exactly how I want it to sound. But all I really want you to know is that you have
4: truly touched me. Yeah, I could feel the failure of language happening right in front of me. This is you... At age 12 in Tennessee,
2: <laughs> slowly coming into your own as a creative person, a creatively curious person, a sexual person, and you write it so clearly, I can't put the feeling into words.
4: Do you think now, at 34, mm-hmm. you've found some language? I mean, it's just language. You know, like, yes, I've technically found language, but I think I've... The feeling underneath is still just as uh, <laughs> just as chaotic and and murky. What's that feeling? Oh, just like that we all feel, you know, an inability to see ourselves and to to understand, you know, anything at all. <laughs> you went up an octave. Yeah, oh, it's yes and no. I do have language. I do have a uh, maybe some sort of a grip on some things. The the thing that I'm talking about with Kate, like of the of the early twenties, kind of. Um, The boldness (laughs) and hyperbole, like it's like that's less at our disposal now, in in a really nice way, (laughs) you know, in a much more relaxed way. It's like hopefully, as you get older, you you realize more and more that you don't know anything, you know. But even at age twelve,
2: some part of you produced the line, "I have a limited amount of time here on Earth," and I know you're shaking your head. I know we've been talking for a bit. is that recognition still something that keeps you moving forward? Is it still on your mind?
4: Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely am, like, literally laying down for this interview. Like, I literally, my body is, like, has, you know, started its slow betrayal. Like, so, yeah, no, I, I, I do feel that more acutely, for sure. But I would say more in a kind of um, resigned, like, like kind of funny way and, and less than maybe it, it's not as maybe mysterious. Yeah, it's just, like, I have to, like, fully give over to the fact that, like, my back is just gonna keep fucking up like this is it till the end (laughs) nerve damage did this surgery actually put
2: that into perspective for you
4: i mean definitely yeah it was very confronting it's very weird to realize you have a body at all the whole point i realized with nerve damage your nerves functioning is like so that you experience any sense of like equilibrium in your daily life like i really took for granted just like what my body was doing and then when you have nerve damage and it's so different for everyone but in my case it's like my leg is like really heavy sometimes it feels like i have a huge like sock on that's like twisted it's so weird and it changes all the time and you know i've had doctors be like you know it can get better but like kind of no guarantee like That was like the first time I ever like, oh, this is the one I don't get to trade out this body. Like this is the one body I have. And like, and something's kind of permanently now like marred a little bit like a part of it is kind of marred. It'll of course become white noise, maybe in a few years. That was very confronting.
2: We started the conversation with the body. Mm -hmm. I guess we better end it here. Yeah. What is your body telling you to do now in this new chapter?
4: My body's telling me to keep to keep releasing the grip, you know, literally and figuratively. Creatively, I'm a very, I, I can be a little controlling and like panicked. And perfectionist, it's not physically manageable. I have to literally, like, I have to figure out a way to not be like that or else I'm going to herniate another disc, you know. And then we wouldn't get another Peacock special. Well, or you might just get a fucking crazier one. <laughs> Is that a... Promise or a threat? It's both. I hope there's another one, and I hope that it's like even more influenced by Hydrocodone than it was this time around. And, and actually, that was kind of my one note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not enough. That's my dream is like every few years, Kate and I make a sketch special because we have like 70,000 more sketch ideas. And we have also just, I want to bring the beavers back so badly, and I want to, I want to find new kind of genres like the seduction sketch. Like, I want to find. Like, I want to do, like, more kind of psychosexual thriller stuff with Kate. With that back? Ugh, no, I have, to, I have to figure that out first.
2: So we've, we fix the back, then you kind of enter your, like, Michael Douglas
4: era. Precisely. That's, like, my favorite. It is one of my favorite genres.
2: Mine, too. I guess the only thing I have to ask you is about the special, because in the beginning of the conversation, you talked about the heartbreak of trying to make something that doesn't exactly land the way you and Kate intended. But now it's out in the world. It's for anyone and everyone to see. And I guess the only audience that matters now is you. And so I want to know, are you proud of it?
4: You know, I've, I've noticed that people keep telling me they're like, they're watching it multiple times. And I think that's really nice. That makes me feel really good. Because to me and to Kate too, what started out as something very kind of like, let's just prioritize being silly you know like over time it kind of like revealed itself to be something much more kind of dense and like meaningful and personal even if it maybe seems very bonkers to people but i do think there is a kind of dream logic to it it like whips itself into some sort of like meaning by the end i feel like like it's i probably feels lawless at first but then I hope people see that there is kind of like, there are some connective tissues and it is like, it is like at the end of the day, just like coming from our hearts. I like that. There's a
2: kind of dream logic to it. Definitely. And I'd like to believe that there's been a kind of dream logic to this conversation. Yeah, yes. I hope so. It's coming fits and starts. Yeah. Mostly makes sense. Yeah. Sweaty. I'm silly. You're lying down. Exactly. I'm still here.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was in my house but he wasn't yeah
2: and who knows cuz the mystery of being alive you know are you ever really
4: somewhere that's where like the kind of what the wonder goes too far the kind of existential uh, you are actually somewhere i think the body is real and you are in a room
2: <laughs> and i have um so enjoyed being in this <laughs> thank room thank
4: you me too thank you for coming over truly John Early, thank you for having me. Thank you.
2: Oh, didn't you have a dream you want to tell me?
4: Oh my god. No. <laughs> I've been burned before.
2: That's our show. Special thanks to Dan McManus, Mimi Evans, Peacock, and of course, John Early. You can watch his new special with Kate Berlant, Would It Kill You to Laugh? Now available on Peacock. To learn more about John and his work, visit our show notes at talkeasypod.com. On the site, you'll find over 250 episodes with folks like Bill Hader, Titus Burgess, Meg Stalter, Ted Danson, Jenny Slate, and Nick Offerman. To hear those and more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at TalkEasyPod. If you want to support our show by purchasing one of our mugs, they come in cream or navy, you can do so at TalkEasyPod.com shop. If you want to support Talk Easy in other ways, just sharing the show with a friend really helps us out. The other thing you can do is review the program on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. Giving us five stars on these platforms is still the best way for new listeners to find the show. As always, Talk Easy is produced by Caroline Reebok. Our executive producer is Janik Sabravo. Our associate producer is Caitlin Dryden. Today's talk was edited by Caitlin Dryden and mixed by Andrew Vastola. Our music is by Dylan Peck. Our illustrations are by Chris Shenoy. Photographs by Jenna Jones. Video and graphics by Ian Chang, Derek Gaberczak, Ian Jones, Ethan Seneca, and Layla Register. Special thanks to Patrice Lee, Kaelin Ung, and Paulina Suarez. I'd also like to thank our team at Pushkin Industries, Justin Richman, Julia Barton, John Schnars, Carrie Brody, David Glover, Heather Fain, Mia LaBelle, Eric Sandler, Nicole Morano, Maggie Taylor, Morgan Ratner, Maya Koenig, Carly Migliori, Jason Gambrell, Malcolm Gladwell, and Jacob Weisberg. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you back here next week with Ethan Hawke. Until then, stay safe and so on.